Religion without a personal encounter with Jesus Christ will not save the soul and it will not bring the peace that your soul longs for. Millions of searching for God through religion and not finding it. You've got to know Christ for yourself. And when you come to know Christ for yourself, there's a peace and a fulfillment and life takes on a purpose and there's a sense of forgiveness of your sins and there's a joy unspeakable and full of glory. You may be a member of some other religion. You may be Catholic, Protestant, Jewish. You may be Hindu, Muslim. Whatever your background, you may not have any religion. You come to Christ. I'm not asking you to come to a particular church. I'm asking you to come to the person of Jesus Christ. Hello. Welcome to the show. The person you just heard speaking is Billy Graham, or was Billy Graham, America's pastor. This conversation has been a long time coming. I'm very happy to be on audio now, but I could still use your support, so you can either help me or help Larry Fink. Anyways, I have a lot of open files. I could keep talking every day, but now I'm restricted, so you can decide on what you want to do, but I want to share my thoughts about pastors. It's pretty complicated, so let me wander around here a bit, okay? I have never attended, well, I do have a picture of myself as a child, and one year we were taken to, um, I don't know, some sort of Easter thing, because my mom made these outfits, and so I see myself as, I don't know, probably seven or so. That was my only real brush with religion. In general, I have, and this, I have to disclose this, because what I'm going to say may not come as um, welcome to some people, but I want to tell you why I think this way, okay? I've been suspect of organized religion my entire life. My initial thoughts were, who could trust the Bible because it's been rewritten so many times? I am sharing what my views are, okay? I am not saying that you should not trust anything. I'm not saying if it works for you, then it works for you, okay? It has never worked for me, and I have always been suspicious. And my suspicions have only gathered more more um, reasons to be suspicious over time, okay? I think that it's all been a lie. And if we're only looking at the last couple hundred years, then I can pretty much put a lot of this to the side. But today, I'd like to tell you why I think pastors, preachers, clergymen, men of God, whatever they want to call themselves, are dangerous. I think they are very much like the therapists in this deal, okay? The ones kind of sitting over there in the corner that nobody notices, handing out some helpful advice a few times a year. Always there with a sly comment. Coming to your kitchen table. You mentioned something about Johnny. Maybe you might say, Johnny's not tall enough. I'm worried about his height. And that friendly pastor could say, you know, I was over at the hospital and they're doing some wondrous things. And the woman's ears perk up. You mean there's hope for Johnny? The pastors are the key deal here, okay? Think about it. Think about it, okay? How did we get all these pastors? Well, Billy Graham, I'll be talking about him in a little bit and telling you what his role was in all of this. America's pastor. Beat that drum beat home, okay? When did we decide that we needed somebody to interpret 
what God is saying to us. God speaks to all of us. If you find that you're on social media 24 hours, you have bought into their entire plan. Block out that sound. Only create fear. Only create the idea of looming death. That's what they want you to be thinking, okay? So how did we get here? And I I got kicked out of Facebook, by the way, because of a religious group. So yes, my suspicions have mounted severely over time. And here's why I got the most suspicious quite a long time ago. I was thinking one day, you know, the royal family, right? Let's just talk about them as an example. But don't focus just on that because I bet anything you have neighbors and people you know who've done the exact same thing. I was thinking one day and I thought, huh, they walk into a hospital. Let's say, let's talk about Kate Middleton because she was the one I focused on that day. She walks into a hospital. She's wearing what looks like a pregnancy thing, right? Looks like she's pregnant. Well, Kate Middleton is a man. So having taken, having been a man and now posing as a woman, I don't know. I'm not all that smart, but but biology tells me she couldn't be having that baby, right? So then I got to thinking, I started looking up some royal clips about what happened when she walked out of that hospital. That was pretty amazing. She sailed in there with a baby bump. She sailed out there less than 24 hours later. The comments for the show were things like, wow, she puts women to shame. How could she do it? Look, look how great she is. <laughs> well, because she did not go into labor to have that baby. Somebody else had that baby. Who is that somebody else? Who is this entire system? Well, who's in that hospital? Obviously, somebody gave her that baby, right? Who had that baby? How did it get there? Well, isn't religion kind of involved in all this? I follow all these religious groups over on YouTube, and all of them say remarkable things. They say things like, oh, we've got all these embryos. Come get embryos. No laws to stop you from getting embryos. It is God's will. How often do I hear them say God's will? Oh, I don't know, maybe about 20 times in every conversation. Why is it that all those couples in those clips that they show us of these embryo adoption places, why are they all run by religious groups? Why are there all these Christ symbols all over the place? Why does everybody talk about their struggle in Christ and God came in to fix their problem? Well, I don't know about you, but this all seems pretty suspect to me, right? Why are all these religious groups so involved in getting embryos out? Well, go listen to my other shows and start to do the math yourself, okay? And also, while you're at it, before you start telling me that you know a pastor who's not one of the bad ones, go do your own homework, okay? If you can find me a pastor that is not both transgendered, likely Jewish, and in on the deception, I'll have a prize for you, okay? Go do your homework. I've done mine. So how did they do all this is the crazy part, right? Well, let's first talk about some of the scholars. And they talk about the earliest music in Christian church came from Jewish worship music with some additional Syriac influence. What is Syriac? S-Y-R-I-A-C. Huh, I didn't know either. The language of ancient Syria, you know that place they're always hanging around trying to bomb right now? A Western dialect of Aramaic in which many important early Christian texts are preserved. 
and which is still used in Syrian Christians as a liturgical language. Yeah, it all traces back to the Jews. And it's interesting because if you listen to any of this music, I was listening to it, it seems very interesting that the Jewish songs sound very much like the Christian songs. Funny how that all worked. Maybe it's that violin. Who knows, right? And here we're, here's where we get tricky because here's what I think might be going on. And I'm not telling you what to think. I'm just saying what I think. I think maybe Jesus Christ is set up as Satan, okay? So you praise Satan, you praise Jesus Christ. I could be completely wrong in this. I could be so wrong that your head is spinning over backwards right now. And that's okay. At least I'm making a statement, right? What's your statement? What do you think about all this? They have all these things about the best hymn to praise Jesus Christ. Who's Jesus Christ? I don't know. Do you know? They say that there's 66 Bibles. They say the Catholics control the Bibles. They say these freaks are into early language i don't know i really do not know you can't you can't question one thing and cling to a bunch of other stuff okay what are the top 10 hymns and worship songs to praise jesus christ remember a lot of chanting a lot of stuff happens for example the new age people teach you to open yourself up to these different angels those angels are demonic okay and remember, I used to believe all of this. I thought the Zen people had it all. I thought that Buddhism really wiped out this religious stuff. <laughs> well, I have looked at the Zen people who I thought had it all, okay? They were also tranny liars. You know, when you take a look at things, you got to kind of look at it all, right? So getting us to praise and worship Jesus, you know? So anyway, so here's some things they come up with. For you have been my help, and in the shadow of your wings, I will sing for joy. See, I've never believed that we're beneath other people. It's just like I don't believe that people who have money are better than those of us who don't. There seems to be this effort in this country that some people are better than other people. Christians feel better than other people because they go to church. Well, I don't know. Does that really make any of us better? Or maybe if we just sat in silence. Maybe silence is our answer. But instead, everybody wants to look outside. Another one that's good. I, I don't know what they mean by the Lord, okay? Maybe that means Jesus, okay? The Lord is my strength and my shield. In my heart, in, in him my heart trusts, and I am helped. My heart exalts, and with my song I give thanks to him. Well, I don't know, because Christian music has really diversified over time reflecting both in centuries-old roots as well as contemporary music styles. So the Greek word hymnos means song of praise. This is where I get into problems with myself personally here. And I'm only sharing my only my own personal struggles with all of this, okay? I get into problems worshiping things. I get into big problems with that, okay? Obviously, I'm an oddball out because everybody is now worshiping things over each other. So this thing stuff is concerning to me, okay? All this shiny stuff, everybody's worshiping. All these fake pastors, everybody's worshiping. Eventually, these songs were compiled into books called hymnals, for which pastors and congregants would read during Christian services. 
a practice that contains in many churches today. I see a lot of this as early programming because they talk about this stuff called lining in, and I'll get to that in a minute. Prior to the 18th century, the Christian hymnals were published as standalone texts without accompanying musical scores. The first American hymnal with both text and song was published in 1831. In Europe, the Church of England did not officially allow hymns to be sung until 1820. Originally, hymns were sung by lining out the lyrics, meaning the pastor would sing a line and then the congregation would repeat it. I see this as very significant into programming. Chant after me, chant after me, chant after me. Everybody's going to die. Everybody's going to die. Everybody's going to die. See how it goes? So, supposedly, lining out first appears in 17th century Britain, where literacy rates were low and books were expensive chanting that message presenting the line excuse me presenting the line was characterized by a slow drawn out and also also profusely ornamental melody where is jesus today (laughs) while a clerk or song leader chanted the text line by line before it was sung by the congregation what's that thing sing along with me sing along with me i'll brainwash you through song (laughs) yeah some christian churches in the u.s still practice lining out while some churches calling themselves excuse me primitive baptists or regular baptists use it this form of singing it's part of the old regular baptist churches still like that go look for some examples it's all over the place The practice is becoming, the leaders will begin lining out, and after the first verse or two, we'll say, sing on. Yeah, well, it's learning to do by command, right? It's learning to implant things into your brain. Say it often enough. Say it often enough. Keep doing it. They want repetitious behavior. Why do you think everybody on YouTube says, subscribe to my channel, ring that bell? Because most people on that platform are so stupid that they have to be told that every single time. Or is it repetitive behavior? Think about it. Okay, so some Presbyterian churches in Scotland also still do lining out, though often now in a restricted context. So I don't understand why this hang up on not wanting to do lining out now and why the Scots are still doing it. That baffles me. That really baffles me. So anyway, so they claim it was because of the books were expensive. They claim it was because, you know, they wanted people to chant. Um, the earliest synagogal music was based on the same system as that in the temple in Jerusalem. According to the Talmud, I was talking about the Talmud just recently, um, they told how choristers went to the synagogue from the orchestra by the altar and so participated in both services. So what they're saying is they actually turned this altar thing into more of an orchestra. Jewish music is the music and melodies of the Jewish people. It also sounds exactly like, go listen to a Jewish wedding song, okay? And then go listen to any kind of Christian music, and you will find that same beat going on in the music. Sounds very, very familiar to me. But, you know, I could just be crazy. I just could be crazy, right? So, 
While some elements of Jewish music may originate in biblical times, differences of rhythm and sound can be found among later Jewish communities and have been musically influenced by location. I think listen to a Jewish wedding song and then listen listen to a gypsy wedding song. And then you tell me, I went back and forth between a Jewish wedding song and a gypsy wedding song to the point that I was getting confused because they sounded so similar. So, but I don't have a fine musical ear, so maybe I just have misrepresented this. So, so um, what is known as Jewish music today is thus the result of complex historical processes. So, anyway, so it just sounds like gypsy music, sounds like Jewish music. It all kind of sounds the same to me. So, let's talk about what does the word pastor mean? We're talking, I'm talking about pastor, clergy, all those men of God, you know, the ones that wear the cloth and all that stuff. So, what does the word pastor mean? It means... Pastors is a rare word. We don't usually refer to them as pastors, just pastor. Interesting. It's a shepherd, someone who tends to a flock of animals, someone with spiritual authority over a group of people, a minister or a priest in a Christian church. And it's also known as a rosy starling bird. So they talk a lot about concentrated consecrated life c-o-n-s-e-c-r-a-t-e-d life also known as religious life in a state of life in the catholic church lived by those faithful who are called to follow jesus christ in a more exacting way that's when they give their word to god in a consecrated life what does that word start with c-o-n con con man consecrated a pastor abbreviated pr or ptr for singular or ps for plural is a leader of a christian congregation which also gives advice and counsel to people from the community or congregation in lutheranism catholicism eastern orthodoxy oriental orthodoxy and anglicanism pastors are always ordained in Methodism, pastors are either licensed or ordained. Ordaining means somebody says, hey, you got what it takes. <laughs> so, pastors are to act like shepherds by caring for the flock. This care includes teaching. The New Testament typically, typically uses the words bishops and presbys to indicate the ordained leadership in early Christianity. Likewise, Peter instructs these particular servants to act like shepherds as they oversee the flock of God. The words bishop and presper were sometimes used in an interchangeable way, such as in Titus, I don't know, something, 1, 5, 6. However, there is an ongoing dispute between branches of Christianity over whether there are two ordained classes, the presbyters and the deacons, or three, bishops, priests, and deacons. The reason I'm reading this all to you is because I'm trying to indicate they're all in on it, okay? The first view is affirmed by the Presbyterian Church. On the other hand, Christians of the Roman Catholic 
Persian, Eastern Orthodox, Oriental Orthodox, Moravian, Scandinavian Lutheran, Anglican, and Old Catholic traditions maintain the latter view and confirm the doctrine of apocalypse succession. What have we been talking about with the military and all these, um, how they get things into organized groups, right? Keep everybody into little groups. A lot of places were founded. Um, a lot of places were founded. There's not a hospital in every town in this country, are there? What do we have in every town in this country? I bet you'll find a priest. I bet you'll find a priest. I've been baffled by this for a very long time, wondering how they did the baby distribution. Who's going out to the flock saying, this is the new way to have the children. Just wear this thing. Go to this doctor over here. Then when your time is due, go into the hospital. It's all taken care of under the name of God. Remember, people can go along with some really bad advice, right? But does that absolve us from that bad advice? I mean, if I agreed to go have a baby that wasn't my own, that came from some other woman because a pastor told me that was a good plan, I don't know. Where where does our responsibility start and where does it stop? I'm only here to do the research. That has to be decided by somebody else. But this is going on all over the place. Those hormones are making everybody sterile. There is a baby delivery system. And I believe these are at the root of it all. For example, and I'm going to interrupt here because you're going to say, well, get back to the subject. I'll get back to it when I get to it, okay? Here's the deal. Here's the deal. They're going around and spreading this word of how to get babies to everybody, okay? And it's all being done by the pastors, the ministers. Just today in Haiti, they're saying, oh, all these ministers. Think about it. All I'm asking you to do is think about it. Don't just believe me. I'm just asking you to think about it. How do you think this has all worked out? How do you think people are getting babies into their arms when they're a known transgender couple? I've looked at these couples doing this embryo stuff, okay? I haven't seen one couple who wasn't suspect, okay? So how are, how are these babies getting set out around the world? I think it's the pastors. I think it's the pastors, and I've thought it's the pastors for a long time, and that is my view. So... Yeah, they got in charge. Um, the actual term derived from Latin meaning shepherd. This is where it gets confusing because remember, they've been telling us that we're sheep and we need to be led by things. And I really object to, in the past, I have said that I thought being a sheep was a good thing. Not so sure now. Not so sure now this pastor business. I have been suspect of pastors for a long time. I am just now doing the research into it. So, it actually has made me a thousand times more suspect, okay? The last two days, I have been suspect city, okay? So, so the pastor, what did pastors do before the American Revolution? The pastors, this, this is where it gets absolutely fascinating, okay? So, the pastor's address brought about enthusiasm. His prayers brought about courage and his parting blessing, encouragement, and resolution. During earlier years prior to the American Revolution, there were chaplains in the colonial wars, such as, the, there's chaplains everywhere, okay? They have places in hospitals. There's chap, These people are hiding, okay? They're just like the therapist, just like the therapist. Full disclosure, a therapist got me. You can go look at my other shows and figure that out. So anyway, so 
So how did this all happen? This is the part that I am always the most curious about. How did we all get hoodwinked into these past? Well, hoodwinking is my view. How did everybody become to believe and trust pastors in this country? Well, it wasn't that hard. Actually, it wasn't that hard. Enter Pastor Billy, also known as Billy Graham. He is the most famous pastor in the United States. His popularity, he's also known for his philanthropic and humanitarian works. Philanthropic and humanitarian. Those should be words that should be major red flags flowing above all of our heads right now, okay? Billy Graham was born on 7th of November, 1918, on a dairy farm near Charlottesville, North Carolina. The average pastor of the United States is 54 years old, which gives me some pretty good ideas of a lot of pastors pass the church to their children. So, passing along the family, right? There's a large percentage of church leaders 65 or older has nearly tripled. So people in my age group are running the pastor gig, okay? But here's where it really got interesting. When I read this part, I thought, darn those pastors, they tricked us good. How did they get pastors all over this place? Well, they had this thing called circuit rider clergy, okay? In the earliest years of the United States, were clergy assigned to travel around specific geographic territories to minister to settlers and organize con Congregations, congregations, right? Circuit riders were clergy in the Methodist Episcopal Church and related denominations. Although similar iterant preachers could be found in other faiths as well, particularly among minority faith groups. In sparsely populated areas of the United States, it always has been common for clergy in many denominations to serve more than one congregation at a time. A form of church organization sometimes called a preaching circuit. In the contemporary United Methodist Church, a minister serving more than one church has a number of churches is called a point charge. This sounds just like a military operation, doesn't she? Just like the military. Just like the military. But for those men of God, or I, I would say, um, I, I, I think, anyway, I'll, I'll leave my thoughts aside here for a second. In the rough frontier days of the early United States, the pattern of organizations in the Methodist Episcopal denomination and its successors worked especially well in the service of rural, rural villages and unorganized settlements. In the Methodist denominations, congregations do not call or employ a pastor of their own choice. It gets assigned. Indeed, a bishop appoints or assigns a pastor to a congregation or a group of congregations. Con congregants. Always with the con, right? And until late in the 20th century, neither pastor nor congregation had any say in the appointment. This meant that in the early days of the United States, as the population developed, Methodist clergy could be appointed to circuits wherever people were settling. A circuit nowadays is referred to as a charge, C-H-A-R-G-E. 
was a geographic area that encompassed two or more churches. Pastors met each year at annual conference where their bishops would appoint them either to a new circuit or to remain at the same one. More often, they were moved to another appointment every year. Keep those secrets moving. In 1804, the Methodist Episcopal General Conference decreed that no pastor was to serve the same appointment for more than two consecutive years. Just passing through town, gathering up secrets. Once a pastor was assigned a circuit, it was his responsibility to conduct worship and visit members, visit members of each church in his charge on a regular basis, in addition to possibly establishing new churches. He was supervised by a presiding elder, now called a district superintendent, who would visit each charge four times a year, the quarterly conference. Sounds pretty scheduled to me. So, who was this Billy Graham? He, he got in here right at a key time, right at a key time. Billy Graham was big into the communism deal, okay? Commies, commies, commies. Thump that Bible and hear Billy Graham. Okay, Billy Graham was born on the 7th of November, 1918. I already talked about that. Well-established businessman. I bet you he's a Jew. Um, when Billy was 16 in 1934, key juncture in this history, he attended a series of revival pr programs in Charlotte, which were hosted by evangelists in the person of something Fowler Ham. These revival meetings changed his personality, and he decided to give his life to Christ. You notice they're giving their lives to Christ, not God, right? I could have this all wrong. I could have every bit of it wrong, but it seems suspicious to me. So, Billy Graham, as an American Southern evangelist who derives his joy from the spread of the gospel, he is well known for preaching the gospel in different countries and different continents. Billy is considered to be one of the leading preachers of the Christian faith whose major works were accomplished around the 1900s. He was greatly inspired by an evangelist during his young ages that he decided to consecrate his whole life to serving God by spreading his Christian faith, the, the Christian faith. Billy was baptized twice during his lifetime, and after graduating from the seminary, he started spreading the good news of Jesus Christ. Well, the good news, according to Billy, was we're all sinners and dreadful, and <laughs> we better cozy up to him to get fixed. So <laughs> I guess it depends on what you think about good news. I mean, his his sermons are all over YouTube. Um, not seeking out information is a choice, okay? So all I'm telling you is go listen to Billy if you're interested. And listen to the tone and the way they speak to us. Yeah. You, you, Billy successfully established a Christian ministry, which he booted the growth of the gospel. He also contributed to the expansion of the community through various means of communication. Billy significantly contributed to the civil rights movement. Yeah, he was down there marching, yelling with all those black people, all those fake black people. And then he was involved in this Lausanne movement, which is kind of interesting. The Lausanne Committee for World Evangelism was commonly known as the Lausanne Movement. 
It's a global movement that mobilizes evangelical leaders and collaborate for world evangelicalism. These words are really tough. In it started. It's it, the stated vision is the whole church taking the whole gospel to the whole world. Founded in 1974 in Orlando by, of course, Billy Graham. Billy Graham. He, he, he would go hang around all the presidents, too. Billy Graham featured on the Gallup organization's list of most admired men and women. He got there 57 times and is regarded by his contemporaries as a genuine, non-judgmental, tolerant, and hardworking man or woman, depending on if you're into the transgender thing or not, who enjoys seeing people succeed or enjoys seeing them get babies to flip to being trans too. I mean, we, we have to really weigh into what Billy enjoys doing because remember, Jill, Billy isn't even a man to start with, okay? His devotion to the gospel and way of living life in peace and harmony made him a religious icon to follow. I don't know. I listened to a lot of his sermons. I didn't find anything about peace. I found like we're all a bunch of derelict sinning maniacs and we need these people to straighten us out. So, But here again, I don't know. I really don't know. So he was the first pastor of some church in Illinois and then he all of a sudden, just amazing, he just all of a sudden became this great big person, okay? So he served as president of the Bible College from 1948 to 1952. He was invited in 1949 by a group called Christ for Greater Los Angeles to preach at their L.A. revival. So many people came for this revival, which was very intense. Most who were there enjoyed the revival, which have the extension of five more weeks, went on for a long time. America's cultural climate after World War II was put under the threat of communism. Billy went out preaching against it and making evangel evangelism a non-threatening approach to overcoming all the fears and all the instabilities which were brought due to the war. And who's, oh, Billy's gone. Who, who's here to take us, care of us for Billy? Well, enter Joel Osteen. Osteen, O-S-T-E-N, the slime ball. Joel Osteen is one of the famous pastors in America, or better still, one of the top pastors in America. He is a preacher and televangelist of the Christian faith who has greatly impacted many lives across America and the world at large. So, um, also known as Joel Scott Austin, he is one of those men who have consecrated, consecrated their lives to serving God. Jesus, I'm going to play a clip from Joel. I almost, <laughs> almost called him Jesus. Well, he is kind of satanic, isn't he? Joel Osteen, I'll have him close it out. He has a different view of his views. After all, him and his people are chosen by Jesus as the chosen ones that they are consecrating for. So listen to what Joel has to say. Goodbye for now. Could you vote for a Jewish candidate? Sure, I could vote for a Jewish candidate. I mean, Jews, that's how our faith was started. They're God's chosen people in the scripture. I mean, sure, I could. So you don't really mind particularly what religion could you vote for a Muslim candidate? Well, I, I think I think I could. I would have to look at it all. But I would have to look at, you know, it's, it's so hypothetical because, you know, if we're talking about for America, 
you know, 90% of America is Christian. So I've, I am pretty sure that I would find somebody that more shares my beliefs and is educated and qualified. So it's, it's hard for me to go there because I think I don't think we'll come to that point. What do you make of what's going on with the Palestinians and the Israelis right now? Well, it's a, it's a difficult situation. It's been that way for so many years. I mean, uh, you know, like the scripture says, we pay, pray for peace for over there. We, we stand with the Israeli people. Our hearts go out to the Palestinian people as well. They, they want peace. They want to live their life in, you know, in victory, and it, it's a difficult thing. You both went out there recently, I think, to Israel, right? We did. We went out in February. Tell me about that. How did you find it? We found it very peaceful. It's amazing, a, a country that has been under such conflict for so long. You know, you, you hear stories in America like it's dangerous and, you know, you see like the worst, but you go in there and the people are very solid, they're very peaceful, they have a lot of confidence in, in, in the fact that they're going to be okay. Yes, they want to fight for what they feel like is rightfully theirs, but it was quite interesting. We had a night of hope. Uh, over there and we had the auditorium was full we had a wonderful time and we just we thought it was a very fascinating very it really brings the Bible alive you go to these places where you know Jesus walked where he prayed where the disciples were you know the Sea of Galilee we found it fascinating